Why was there a second high priest? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. No doubt the Hebrew Christians took the priesthood of Aaron's descendants for granted. The fathers of the priests they knew had served before them, their sons would serve after them. That's the way it was. But why? The author of Hebrews is going to question the fundamental assumption behind the need for a hereditary priesthood. It has a fundamental problem. Look at verse 18. The previous commandment is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. Verse 19. For the law perfected nothing. Kind of meditate on that a minute. The law. The law that was given by God at Mount Sinai perfected nothing. It was incapable of producing the transformation in the heart and life of the people to be able to become perfect, to become like God intended. And the law perfected nothing. Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do, it could never make, the law could not save anybody because it was weak through the flesh. It was weakened by man's fallenness, by man's sinful nature, by man's choices, by man's deceptive, fooled condition, believing as he did the lies of Satan himself. So the law, the law, the Levitical law, with all the sacrifices and temple and all of those things, it could not achieve the purpose of making the worshipers who went there, even those who went there and did it faithfully, could not become perfect under the law. So we need a different system. We need a different priesthood. We need a priesthood that functions after the power of the life of the high priest. That's what he's saying. Verse 18 again, the previous commandment is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced. What's the hope? The hope is that God will provide for himself a lamb, that God will provide for himself one who can satisfy his holy law and at the same time provide death for the sins of all those who are sinners. That's the hope. That God would send a Redeemer. And that's the hope that Paul saves through the whole Old Testament. People looking forward to God sending a Redeemer. God sending a Savior. God providing what we could not do for ourselves and what could not be done for us through the priests or prophets or kings or through our own self-effort. That God would fill that gap. God would provide a lamb. And in that one, provide all that's necessary for us to be fully forgiven. That's the hope. Verse 20, none of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, 
that is the Old Testament Levitical priests, became a priest just by function of the letter of the law. And by the way, there were priests and high priests that were terribly wicked individuals. But they served in the function of high priest and priest because the letter of the law appointed them. You read some real bad stuff back there. Conduct by people who were functioning at that time as high priest or as priest, even as prophet, even as king. The Levitical system was set up to provide a system knowing that the people who would function in the system were not themselves perfect. That's what that passage is telling us. It's telling us that others became priests without an oath, but he, with an oath, made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and he will not change, not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Verse 22, circle this one. So, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. What's that mean? The guarantee. That means Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice. Jesus himself becomes the guarantee-er, the secure-er the provider. Jesus himself becomes the one who provides this basis, this dynamic of the new hope through Jesus himself, who he is, what he did, where he is. Through those qualities of Jesus, God provides a guaranteed salvation. So our hope is not based upon wishes. Our hope is not based upon effort. Our hope is not based upon securing favor with God through keeping laws, regulations. Our hope is based upon nothing less than Jesus, blood, and righteousness. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Well, if that's true, then we need a new law. We need a supporting document. We need a new treaty with God, between God and man, that's based upon Jesus and what he did for us and who he is on our behalf. We need a new covenant. And from this point on, the next part of the book is going to discuss that new covenant, that new treaty. But the argument here is, verse 22, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant, a better law, a better system than the Levitical tabernacle, temple, animal sacrifice system that had been in operation in Israel for hundreds of years. Now many, verse 23, now many have become Levitical priests 
since they were prevented by death from remaining in office. In other words, every one of the guys who uh, was appointed by the legal statute of the Levitical covenant, the, the law, they were appointed to be priests. Every one of those guys died. They buried him. That was it. Done. So they had to keep replenishing, had to keep refurbishing the system of temple sacrifices and functions and gifts by what? By bringing new blood into the priesthood. That's what that verse is saying. Many became Levitical priests since the Levitical priests are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he, Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. That's an amazing concept. With Jesus, it's already done. It's done completely, finally, and perfectly. And he is raised from death by the glory of the Father in the resurrection. He's ascended to the right hand, and he will never die again. He will never experience death again. Nothing will ever, ever bring death to Jesus again. He lives forever. He is permanent. He is eternal. And since he's the guarantor, my salvation is eternal. So I am not saved. I am not forgiven. I am not cleansed. I am not made a child of God based upon what I do but what he's already done, and since he's done it and raised from the dead and lives forever, nothing can erase, nothing can change, nothing can forfeit, nothing can defeat him executing the fulfillment of his promise of eternal life to me and you. Isn't that good news? It is. Listen to how the writer wraps this up. Therefore, verse 25, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Nobody can ever be denied forgiveness by God. You just come through Jesus. And when Jesus issues your birth certificate, when Jesus forgives your sin, it's validated by the power of his resurrection, and his resurrection is then duplicated in your experience. Incredible. What a deal. So since he lives forever, he is always able to save those who come to God through him. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He also said, whoever comes by me will be saved. So while the door is narrow and the way is straight, you either are saved by faith in Jesus Christ based upon what he did for you, 
You either are saved through that narrow door or you're never saved. You either come to the Father through Jesus and Jesus alone or you never come to the Father. You either experience God's grace and forgiveness and mercy on the basis of what Jesus did for you as your substitute and therefore have access to and are born into the family of God. You either come that way or you never come. You never get it. It may be narrow, but it always works. And it works not because it's in any way dependent upon you. It's not your faith that saves you. Your faith is simply reaching out to embrace what he offers. Your faith is simply trusting him for what he's already done. Believing him for what he says and shows he's already provided. That's all your faith is. It's not your faith that saves you. He saves you. Faith is the organ of confident trust. Isn't that amazing? That's it. And since he lives forever, and his sacrifice was whosoever will, no man, no woman is barred access to God who comes through Jesus Christ. Amazing. Verse 26. For this is the kind of high priest. You're going to love this paragraph. The writer now takes us to focus our attention upon who and what kind of person is Jesus who is our priest. For this is the kind of high priest we need. We need one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. One who doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all. Once for all. And how did he do it? He offered himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice. The law appoints, appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the promise of the oath, when God says, I will make you forever a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that oath that God swore, that promise God made to his son and through his son to us, that oath, the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son, a son, God the Son, who has been perfected forever. The writer here wants to remind us that Jesus is not just another human. He is a human, but unlike anyone else ever born, he was God before he became a man. And when it talks about him being son, it's not intending to say to us that God the Father and Mary got together and had a baby. What it's intending to say is to us 
that God the Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit created everything and existed for eternity, that God, Father, sent God's Son into the world through God, Holy Spirit's agency. That's what that's meant to say. In other words, Jesus is not a son of God. He's God the Son. He became son of man. That is, he took upon himself. Our human nature became a man. That's what happened in the incarnation. And that's the only way he could be our substitute, die in our place, which he did. But in his resurrection, when he was raised from the, raised from the dead, God the Father is quoted as saying, I have begotten, I have begotten you today as my son. In other words, in this act of resurrection, I have acknowledged that your human experiences were perfectly performed. And I acknowledge that you are God the Son, who as Son of Man did everything so that any and all humans could be saved. Come, sit on my right hand, and I will make you high priest forever, but after the order of the pattern of Melchizedek and his high priesthood. Incredible. So he is God the Son, and when it says he has been perfected forever, that doesn't mean that he sinned. It means that he finished perfectly the work that he came into the world to do and did it as a man. That's what that means. He was willing to be a man, emptied himself of all the prerogatives of deity that kept him from doing that. And through a miracle of incarnation became a man and as a man, fully did the will of the Father, accomplished all that the Father required, satisfied the law, paid the penalty for sin, and through his own sacrifice, offering himself, he secured salvation for us. Have I said it often enough? You got it? Now go back and look at those qualities that describe him. For this is the kind of high priest we need. If you want a person to be your high priest, these are the qualities you must find in that high priest. Holy. Holy. That means equal to God. That means absolutely separated or without any defilement, without any lacking quality of full deity. You want God to be your high priest. That's the point. Secondly, you want someone who is innocent. Innocent means that he is free from the defilement within and without. That, that's, that's basically what that means. One who has never experienced sin. One who's never been tainted by sin. One that no one else could ever charge with being sinful and therefore less perfect than God. Third thing, undefiled. That word means <laughs> nothing sticks to him. That's what that means. Nothing that would be smear, nothing that is less than perfection 
will stick to him. He is undefiled. We don't ever have to worry about Satan, any of his demons, any of his angels coming up and saying, but did you know that Jesus, don't worry about that. You need a high priest who is undefiled, who is absolutely free from the experience of sin in his own person, who is holy. Fourth thing, separated from sinners. How was he separated from sinners? That's to remind us that while Jesus Christ walked among sinners and while he became fully human, he never dabbled in their attitudes or actions. He is separated from sinners. Uh, folks will sometimes um, use that as an excuse for cravings that they have. They, they want to be in an environment where sin is being practiced, celebrated, worshiped, enjoyed. And they'll say, well, Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. Uh, he ate with the tax collectors. He this, he this, he this. This verse and others tell us that while he was there, he was still separated from them. And that's an amazing absent quality in most of the people I know who want to be in sinful environment, chosen by people who are prisoners to sin. Jesus was separated from them as a great gulf fix between his perfection. They knew it, and they acknowledged it. Untainted and exalted above the heavens. That means we need, we need a high priest who has position with God, not contact with God, not an arrangement with God, not a contract with God, not a good friend of God. We need somebody who is actually there, who has actually been exalted above the heavens to the very abode of God. Somebody who qualifies and is fitted to be face to face with God. God on God. That's the kind of high priest we need. And Jesus fits all those qualities. We've come back to the unity of these ideas of completion and perfection. God isn't interested in doing a halfway job or a 99-100th-way job of redeeming his people. So the temporary, incomplete, imperfect system of animal sacrifices cannot be his end game. We need a complete Savior, a priest who lives forever. That's the name of Jim's sermon. We'll send you a CD containing the entire message for a donation of $7 or more. The series is God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. All 19 of those sermons are collected in a CD album, yours for an offering of $66 or more. As another year winds down, we at Right Start will open the financial records as usual and ask, how are we doing? How are we braced for the new year? Your gift right now would encourage us greatly. We depend on your prayers and gifts all year round, so thank you if you're already part of the family. This is your ministry too. If you'd like to reach us, just call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
or send mail to Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. And visit rightstartradio.org, where you'll have access to many helpful audio resources. You can play radio programs and play or download complete sermons. If you want to make sure you never miss a program, even in the holiday season, then subscribe to the Right Start podcast. We've given you a convenient link, and you can donate at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We hope you're seeing new things in the book of Hebrews through this series. Please join us as we close out Jim's sermon, A Priest Who Lives Forever, on tomorrow's Right Start. Thank you.